There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans, welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. I have spent over four decades working in the game, fortunate enough to meet some of the legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them shine the game, and now they've moved on to life after the game. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up and tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's legend is seven-time NHL All-Star one of only two players in NHL history with 17 30-goal seasons, a Hockey Hall of Famer. And speaking of the Hall, he's now chairman of the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee, top 100 player of all time, Mike Gardner. Mike, welcome to the show. I'm looking forward to catching up with you, my friend. Well, Gino, it's uh, it's good chatting with you. I know that we have a lot of uh, a lot of stories in common. I'm sure we'll be telling a few of them over the next half hour or so. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7 Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave Crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. It's funny how my path and your path have intersected over the years for obvious reasons. You're one of the all-time greats, and I've been fortunate enough to cover your career, and uh, it's fun. It's fun covering I thought you were going to say you're one of the all-time greats. I was going to agree with you. You can go ahead and pump your own tires, you know? No, I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) We've known each other. I think, I think, and I'm not 100% certain of this, but I think the first time you and I actually met because you played most of your career with the Caps, was the Canada Cup in 87. I mean, way before your Toronto Maple Leaf days and stuff like that. The 87 Canada Cup, which in my mind was one of the all-time great events. Where does it stand in terms of, you played for some good teams. Uh, You had some major accomplishments throughout your career. Where does that whole Canada Cup series and that team stand amongst the teams that you played with? Well, I'm going to answer that question. Uh, before we do, though, like you have to, we've maybe told this story uh, at, in different venues, but you, you got to tell the story on on how you and I met in the 1987 yeah. Canada Cup. So go ahead, give us just just give us all a little right. Bit of okay, story so on. this is 1987. I'm a young reporter. I'm working for Global, a local television network, which then ultimately went national. And I was I was just a young guy, so my job was to just go gather clips. So I basically went to the game day skates and just talked to players. I mean, Garts knows the story, so I'm telling it for our audience just to gather some pregame sound. So I gather the pregame sound. Now I'm in Cops Coliseum in Hamilton. Uh, we're down to the final of the Canada Cup. The drama is amazing. I'm like, I can't believe I have to leave now because now I'm done. I'm done work for the day. I'd love to stay and watch the game, but I don't have a ticket. I also don't have any money to buy a ticket. So I'm standing on the street in Hamilton and for for the for listeners of yours don't know this, Cops Coliseum is attached. What was it, Garts? The Sheridan Hotel? Is that what Some it was? Hotel downtown at that yeah. time, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And you guys just basically walked 
some of the biggest name players in the history of the game, yourself, Gretzky, Messier, Grant Fear. You guys just walking along the street in Hamilton. That must have been weird for you guys. It was a little different, but that's just the way it was set up. And and the time of the year was, it was in September, right? It was yeah. before the season began. So, okay, go ahead. So I'm standing on the street. Along walks Mike Gardner with, and I think you're with a bunch of your family members and you're walking along. And I think at that point, I, I may have been talking to a scalper to drive by a ticket or something. And you saw the conversation and you're like, Hey, are you looking for a ticket? And I went, yeah, I'd love to go to the game. He goes, I got one ticket left over from my family. You're going to be sitting with my family. If that's okay. I'm like, yeah, frick, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and you did and so you gave me a ticket to the game, which was insane. Did you, at that point, you had no idea who I was, right? You just figured I was Joe Fan, right? Pretty much. And the yeah. thing was, is that uh, we we got we got free tickets um, for the games, and and I I needed like a dozen or so, and it only turned out I needed eleven. So I literally had an extra ticket, and I'm walking to the game. So I either give it away or it gets burned. And so somebody, and you just happened to walk up and. You and I have have met each other dozens of times after that in more more professional sta- uh, settings. But when you told me that story, um, I, I thought it was I thought it was a great story. And not only that is that you got a chance to watch maybe one of the greatest hockey games of all time, Game Three. And so I'll pick up on your uh, your initial question to me, Gino, and that was, you know, where does it rank for me? Well, it pretty much because I wasn't on a Stanley Cup winning team, it it, it ranks as number one on um, on things that I'm kind of most proud of being part of in my hockey career. And that is being part of the 1987 Team Canada that won the Canada Cup. Uh, we had three games with the Russian team at that time, and they were all 6-5. And the last one um, w- was just one of the uh, one of the all-time great, uh, great games. So the final goal that Mario Lemieux scores from Wayne Gretzky and and uh, there's just so many things within that whole uh, that whole tournament environment and the whole idea of a World Cup um, idea of a best on best that, uh, you know, I look back on it with uh, with such fond memories. And a funny story um, during the lockout in 04, I'm working for the Players Association at that time. And TSN's just trying to just just trying to fill some 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 time, some airtime. And so. Uh, I'm sitting with my uh, my then about 13 or 14 year old youngest son, and I, he was two years old when I finished playing hockey. And uh, I noticed that TSN was running like a full replay of that series. And so he said, "Hey, Dad, you played on that team, didn't you?" And and I said, "Yeah, I did." He said, "Do you want to watch it with me?" I said, "Sure. I've never watched it. I, I, play, I watched it from the bench, but I've never actually watched it." So Dylan and I sat down, and we watched three games of the 1987 Canada Cup. And about, about halfway through the uh, the first period, he turns to me and says, Dad, you, you were a pretty good hockey player back then. I said, yeah, I was okay. I was okay. So we had a, we had a blast. So a lot of great memories, uh, both during it and after that time with the 1987 Canada Cup. That was awesome. And, and I was so lucky to sit with your family. We were literally in the corner where Mario scores the winner probably about five rows up. And when he scores the winner, I run down to the glass being Joe fan at that point. And there's this, the video, and I didn't even see it till like 15, 20 years later, someone shows me the videos. Gino, you realize you're in that 
the winning goal celebration. I had no idea. There I am with my bad mustache on the other side of the glass as Mario leans against the glass. And I'm like, wow. So I screen captured that and showed it to my kids. And like you're saying, saying to Dylan, I said to my son, Luke, Luke, look, I was actually there because you always thought I was full of crap because everybody always says they were there, right, Garts? Oh, yeah, of course. I was at that game. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and there were about 18,000 people that actually were there. Yeah, it is amazing. You know, and here's and here's the, what I find is very amusing, and I, and I think it really kind of puts things in perspective. During Ovi's now quest, I mean, you, you were capital, like your jersey was right, retired there and a legend in the organization, and you were there really helping the organization when they're in real-time apparel. There are a lot of today's players. Everybody's talking about Ovi and what a phenomenal goal scorer he is, and rightfully so. But something people need to remember, there's only two guys in NHL history that have had 17 30-goal seasons, Alexander Ovechkin and Mike Gartner. Is that something you can you can talk to Dylan and your kids about, about the fact to kind of put it in perspective to say, all this hype you guys are doing for Ovi, I did it too. Not to the 800-plus goals, but you did it as well. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, I, I feel good about um, because there was a consistency there and it was something that I always uh, I always kind of uh, prided myself on, on at least my, my teammates and the organization and people kind of knowing what they were going to get. Um, so now my friends tell me, you know, I've seen you lately, you know, the, your name comes up when Ovi scores his uh, yeah. 30th goal for the 17th time. He's, he's tied the record. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have that record for about another 12 months. So I'm going to, I'm going to really, uh, I'm going to really enjoy it uh, because I'm pretty sure that Alex is, is going to break that record a, a few more times. And um, I think he's probably going to break Wayne Gretzky's record as well. Yeah. If he keeps playing the way he is, there's a record that no one can ever break because you were the first, you were the first guy you talked about consistent and I, you were Mr. Consistency uh, 15 straight 30 plus goal seasons. Um, you became in 1991-92 the first player in NHL history to score your 500th goal, your 500th assist, and your 1,000th point in the same season. It's impossible to be more consistent than that. And you were always very gracious. You never wanted to steal somebody else's goal. Oftentimes, you'd be in front of the net and say, no, I didn't tip that one because refs were used to giving you the goals. But how important was that for you that balance, the balance of the goals and assists in your career, which was ultimately the perfect balance. Well, and, and I think that that uh, it, it was just a balance and it just happened, you know, where where it all kind of came together. A thousand games, thousand points, 500 goals, 500 assists it all kind of happened all at the all at the yeah. same time. And so there was there was a balance. By the end of my career, it was it was a little more heavy on the goals versus the assists because I, I used to try to get my assists off the goalies pads, you know, that, <laughs> that I was given out. Um, but yeah, there's a balance there. And I think that that is, um, when I'm, I'm looked on, I guess, as a, a, a pure goal scorer, I, I really wasn't just a pure goal scorer. I was, I've always felt I was a, a pretty balanced hockey player. I came into the league, um, as a two-way hockey player, really, I could score yeah. goals, but I, I just came in as a two-way hockey player and really just because the necessity in Washington and the opportunity of the type of team that we had, I was put in an offensive role and uh, more often. And so I really just kind of morphed into that role. And, you know, I always I joke with my, uh, my old buddies, Louis Francis Getty being one of them for sure. Leap and Lou. Leap and Lou. I, I used to get three and four breakaways every game. And, you know, 
I, I wouldn't score on three or three or four breakeries every game. I'd score on about one. And uh, I always said that about my third or fourth year, my hands finally caught up to my legs. And I was able to start putting the puck in the net. That is funny. That is funny. We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Fame and Mike Gardner. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. And Gartz, because you are consistent, because people always can count on you for goals, you are in big demand. And because you're in big demand, you kept getting traded. Let me let me recap something you obviously are very well aware of. Uh, started with the Caps, traded to the Minnesota, Minnesota North Stars in March of 89, traded to the New York Rangers in March of 1990, traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs in March of 1994, and then ultimately traded to the Coyotes as well. Were you dreading the annual trade deadline thinking, okay, honey, get ready, start packing up the kids. We don't know where we're going to be. Yeah, three out of the four trades, I was traded at the trade deadline. So, like, I still got nervous after I retired for at least another five <laughs> or six years. Every time the middle of March rolled around, I thought, am I going to get traded again? PTSD. But it, uh, you know, it is a funny thing because, you know, one team doesn't want you and another team wants you. So you always try to look at it from a positive perspective that they're looking for something that, that you you can offer that uh, that the other team is, is looking for the opposite, Right. And so I think that it's a, um, we always looked at it as a positive thing, but there were a couple of times, like when I got traded from the Rangers to the Leafs, unfortunately, my family found out about that when uh, my, my wife was at one of our kids hockey games and somebody came up to her and said, Hey, you know, I heard that uh, Mike just got traded and I hadn't had an opportunity to talk to her, nothing like that. So that's how we found out about the one. And then the other one that we uh, that was a little bit unique finding out about was when I got traded from the Maple Leafs to Phoenix. So what, the last trade that happened. And so, um, you know, Cliff and I had a little bit of a, you know, we've, we've kind of laughed about it a little bit uh, since because it doesn't matter anymore. But we had a little bit of a gentleman's agreement that the, the agree, the, my last deal that I signed with Toronto that he wasn't going to trade me in the middle of my contract. I was going to play the contract out. So I'm vacationing with my family in June in Arizona. And we uh, rented a motorhome and we were going through the Grand Canyon and we stopped um, at the Grand Canyon, uh, you know, looked at the Canyon and all that stuff. And we were going to take a helicopter ride to do a tour of the Grand Canyon. And so we're in the waiting room of this helicopter helopad place and it's middle of June and it's the NHL draft. And so I asked my wife, I wonder what happened today in the, uh, in the draft. And so we, we should try to find out. And, you know, we've kind of been out of communication for the last uh, week or so, not a lot of cell phone coverage back then. I didn't want to carry the big brick around. Yeah. And so my wife, uh, I go out to one of those little metal boxes on the outside and I look for a paper and they don't have any papers in the box. And so my wife sees a guy reading the, the sports section of the, uh, the Arizona Republic. And on the front section of the sports section is a headline, Coyotes trade for Gartner. And that's how we found out that I was going to the Phoenix Coyotes was seeing the back of a newspaper that somebody was reading in a, uh, in a waiting room in a lobby waiting to go for a helicopter ride in the Grand Canyon. So there you go. That's spectacular. I've never heard that story, Garts. That's oh, amazing. Man. I'll tell you a story I do know. You got off to a nice start and became an instant hero with the Coyotes fans. Do you want to tell our audience what happened in game two against the Boston Bruins? Uh, I don't know. This You're is the have second game up. in franchise history of the Coyotes organization. I don't know. You're going to have to team me up. I don't know if I know. This is when you, ha- you had the first goal 
Oh, well, there we go. The first goal. Did it take us two games to get a goal? <laughs> it did. As a matter of fact, it, it became the, the franchise's first hat trick as well. You actually made it three in that. So you're, again, another first that no one ever can, like the franchise, the organization had been moved from Winnipeg to Phoenix. You went there and you were the instant hero, which was amazing. You know, like, we had a good team back then. Like going, uh, I know Winnipeg was very disappointed about the team moving to Arizona, yeah. but we were welcomed with open arms. Um, we had a really, we had a good team, a good group of guys. I remember going down there with Chris King in the middle of the summer and, uh, you know, showing off the uh, the jerseys that we had. Uh, I don't know if anybody knew, but back then the jerseys were actually like a two or three ply jersey. So they were, yeah. they were heavy jerseys. They were hot. They had a lot going on. Well, they got a lot heavier once you started sweating in them. And yeah. I couldn't believe how heavy those jerseys were, but you know, Phoenix is a good hockey area. When we were there, the, the uh, two years that I was there, and a couple of years after, we played right downtown at the uh, what was then the America West Arena. Yeah. And there were about 3,000 obstructed view seats because it was built for basketball. And so as soon as the puck kind of came uh, about the bottom of the circles, no people in that end couldn't see the net. Uh, so they had a big screen up there. But we sold out every game. And um, so when you, you see what's happening and what has what happened, what has happened over the last number of years um, in Arizona, I, I think there's still a really good fan base there. And I know they got the 5,000 seat uh, arena there now that, that, uh, that they're playing in while they try to figure out where they're going to play. But I, yeah. I still think it could be a viable market if it's in the right location. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave Crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just eleven sixty nine, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. We're in conversation with a gentleman voted one of the top 100 players of all time in NHL history, Hockey Hall of Famer, Mike Gartner. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. What was it like to hear yourself uh, put into the top 100 players of all time category, Garts? What was that like? Yeah, it was... um... It was just one of those surreal moments. I remember getting the call from uh, from Gary Bettman. He personally called everybody on that list, and um, he's and I knew Gary from our players' association days um, when I was with the players' association. He obviously was with the league, so I knew Gary, and he um, he said, "Mike, you know we're doing this top 100." I said, "Yeah, I've heard that." He said, "And I just want to let you know that uh, that you were on on the list. You were one of the top 100." And I went, uh, Gary, that's quite an honor. Thank you very much. I said, um, it's great to be number 100 on that 100 list. He said, well, no, we're not, we're not classifying, classifying anybody on where they are. We're not telling anybody that, you know, you're just on the top 100. We're not doing top 10, top 50, just top 100. So it was great. And they had a, they had a really special event for us at the all-star game um, weekend festivities in Los Angeles. And Two things uh, stood out. I remember uh, when we were going to one of the events, they used to have those small little courtesy buses that they were taking us to the different events. And I remember sitting um, beside Bobby Orr uh, for this just short little 
five or 10 minute drive to this next event. And, uh, and Bobby looks to me, he says, Mike, isn't this great? What a great honor. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me, Bobby, or maybe one of the greatest hockey players of all time, if not the yeah. greatest. And, uh, and Bobby is excited about this. And so almost from then on, I just, I was excited enough. I just thought, just try to take all this in and look around and, and see the company that you're in. And then the second thing is when we were walking out on the ice, I was just in front of Bobby Hall and uh, the late Bobby Hall, as we know, and, yeah. and Bobby was having trouble with his knees and his hips and everything else. And we're just getting ready to walk out. We start to take a few steps and he just kind of taps him on the shoulder. He says, Michael, would you mind if I just held your arm going out? And I'm going, are you kidding me once again? So yeah. as I'm walking out, I'm just letting, uh, letting Bobby grab onto my arms, you know, as we're walking out on this carpet. So it was a great honor. It was great to have my family, to have Colleen there um, with me and uh, being part of all the, all the festivities that were happening. And, and it truly is a, it is a great honor. It's so cool. I love this podcast so much because I get a chance to, to catch up with friends like you uh, years after the fact and tell some great stories and to give you your rightful place and recognition that you deserve. Like we've already talked about the fact that you scored the goals you scored and the records you share with Alexander Ovechkin. People talk about you were making a joke a few minutes ago about your hands finally caught up to your feet. Nowhere is that more real than with Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid, people look at Connor and say, oh my gosh, the thing that makes him so special is he's so unbelievably fast and his, his hands respond to, and he could still score, which is stuff you did decades before him. And just to put it in perspective, people are like, come on, Gina, you're going to compare Connor McDavid's speed to Mike Gardner? 100% I am, because the numbers bear this out. <laughs> Let's talk about the skills competition in 1996. You win, and it's not even close. The, the fastest skater at 13.386 seconds. Connor McDavid finally broke your record, but he only beat your record by 76 one thousandth of a second. That's with new technology. That's with new skates. That's with new aerodynamics. I mean, there's got to be a tremendous sense of pride of the fact. Yes, Dylan Larkin, broke your record in between there, but he had the running start. He didn't have the standing start. Yeah. What did that mean to you to see your record stand for that long and to kind of be able to say, Hey, I'm right up there with Connor McDavid in speed. Yeah. From a speed standpoint, I mean, there were a lot of us that were fast back, uh, back at that time. I mean, Paul but nobody Paul. faster than you brother. No, I mean, it's, you know, I, I do feel good about it. And, um, and I was 36 years old. So I, I know that I was faster when I was 26 years old, when I was 36 years old. And, and when I did it, they didn't have the fastest skater when I was 26. So I do feel good that it, it lasted for 20 years. And so as far as speed goes, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I, I was as fast as Connor McDavid. But there is a big difference, though. The difference being is that Connor is, is he can do, he can carry the puck at that speed. I, I never could. I, I could, of course I could carry the puck and I could, uh, I could carry the puck fast, but the puck slows everybody down. Everybody. It slowed me down. It slows guys down. Maybe, you know, even more than it would slow me down. I actually don't think it slows Connor down. I think that if you did the fastest skater, and you carried a puck, I think Connor's, Connor would have the exact same time. And that's really difficult to do. 
And I mean, I, I've had the opportunity of watching him um, since he's been a teenager. Um, I'll tell you another funny story, even, even before then. So I'm coaching my youngest son, Dylan. I'm retired. Uh, we live in Richmond Hill. I'm coaching um, the, uh, the Richmond Hill AAA team. And we're playing against York Simcoe Express in, in the middle of the season. And we're playing at the old Hollingsworth Arena, which I think they've since torn down in Newmarket. And so we get to the game. The team gets there. I bring my son. I'm the coach there about an hour before. And uh, come walking in. My son goes to the dressing room with a bunch of other uh, kids. And uh, there's a practice going on before us. And so um, I'm standing there just with one of the uh, one of my assistant coaches, one of the dads, and we're just chatting about different things. And I'm, I'm just watching the practice a little bit. And I go, oh, my goodness. Who? And I, I know this guy knows a lot of the uh, a lot of the kids that are playing. I said, who is that kid? And he said, uh, oh, that's Connor McDavid. Now, Connor McDavid was playing one year up at that time. And it was the team that was uh, a year younger than not our guys were playing before us. So I said, well, he could play on our team right now, being two years up and probably be our best player. And that's how much he, you could you could just see it, uh, like literally watching it for just minutes. You could you could see that there was something special there. I don't know if we all knew that he was going to be as great as he was, but he could he was a standout with kids that were a year older than him when he was 10 years old. And so that continued. I had a chance to play with him. We have these uh, charity hockey night and berry games um, that we've done for a number of years, raise money for the local Royal Victoria Hospital. And Connor, when he was 15 years old, came up and played with us. And when he was 16 and we were 17. And I mean, even at 15 and 16 and 17, like he, he's playing against other pros out there in this charity hockey game. And he was such a nice young guy. And, uh, and he was so good. Um, and then just watching him develop, he trains at our uh, West Jarvis and I uh, and Rick Kornacki have a training facility in Richmond Hill called National Training Rinks. And he trains with Gary Roberts there at, at our training facility in the summer. And, and uh, I usually say hello to him and, and he puts in so much hard work. Yeah. So anyway, I know your, your question was about speed. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel from a speed perspective, I'd be right there, but um, not, not when you have to carry the puck too. It's amazing to see guys at that level. We, we all talk about Crosby, even still to this day, he still keeps spending the off season saying, what part of my game do I need to fix? Connor McDavid's also done the same thing. Every uh, he's become a better goal scorer now because he's become a better two way player. It's turned him into a better goal scorer and he's got more balance around his team. It's the whole idea of elevating your game a little more, a little more, a little more hitting the next plateau. 400 goals in the NHL is enormous. And it's one of those milestones where people think, yeah, he was a 400 goal scorer in the NHL. 500 is a little bit crazy. <laughs> 600, not a lot of guys. 700 goals is ridiculous. Only eight players in NHL history have scored 700 or more goals. You're one of them. What's it like to, as that's going on, do you start to, does it start to hit home like, crap, I'm really starting to slip into something that hasn't been done before. What was that like? It was as unfolding. And now that when you look back on it. 
Yeah, it, it, and it, it kind of goes along like that. You know, you, you score 400 and then you kind of get to the high 400s and then 500, that's a big milestone. And then you yeah. kind of click along and then you get to that 600 and kind of click along. And then you start to have, I started to have knee problems my last year and kind of wondering, am I going to get there? And, and then you just kind of get there, but it's, it's interesting. I find that goal scorers that you have to find different ways to score goals because mm. if you're over the course of a 15 or 20 year career, um, the game changes and you have yeah. to change with the game. The um, rules change, for, the style yeah, the changes, rules change, but, but the goalies change the, yeah. the way it's played, uh, is changed. I used to probably for half my career, I could go down the right wing, get wide on the defenseman. I could hit that bottom left-hand corner with a slap shot in my sleep almost. Yeah. And uh, I scored a lot of goals that way, scored a lot of goals with my speed. Well, I remember one time we're playing against Minnesota in the late 1980s and uh, Don Beaupre is playing for Minnesota. And I come down and I give my absolute best shot, go wide in the defenseman. I'm giving my best shot, bottom left-hand corner. Well, Don Beaupre, he stops it like it wasn't even a, it was, it was an easy save. I'm thinking, what the heck's going on? So I start watching videos and start watching film, start playing against Patrick Waugh and seeing how he plays. I'm going, oh, the goalies, they, they found a way to play differently. They're playing more butterflies, uh, butterfly style. Yeah. They're going down. They've made the save before it's even left my stick. It's like, okay, I better find some different places to try to shoot and try to score. Not that that shot wasn't available, but it's not available all the time. And so you start trying different things. I started getting in different positions, started trying to shoot underneath the goalie's armpit because they have a hard time, you know, scoring them. And then they started wearing bigger jerseys and it's yeah. like, okay, that gets shut off. So you used to have the one to five hole. And then before you know it, you had six, seven, eight, eight holes. And then I found what's called the five and a half hole, which I don't even know if I could tell you about it because I might have to kill you <laughs> if I told you, but just different spots that you shoot on a goalie in different places you go. And then I get traded to New York with the Rangers and, um, and Roger Nielsen says, Mike, have you ever uh, stood in front of the net before? And I said, well, I mean, I'm around the net. And he said, no, no, right in front of the goalie, like right in front, not off to the side. I need you to be right in front of the goalie. And he said, if you do, you're going to be our number one guy in the power play. You and John O'Brodnick right in front of the goalie. Yeah. I said, okay. So I started putting a whole bunch more equipment on my different shoulder pads, yeah. all kinds of padding. Stand in front of the net. Well, don't I get all kinds of goals? I get the snot kicked out of me in front of the net, mind you. And so that was a little different getting used to that. But you find different ways to score goals. And I think yeah. that the great goal scorers always find different ways to score goals. And we're in conversation with one of the greatest goal scorers in NHL history, Mike Gardner. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Reddit. So, Gartz, you get inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and that's not enough, of course. Now you're the chairman of the selection committee of the hockey hall of fame. I'm not going to try. I'm sure you must get this all the time. Garts. Why is this guy in? Why is this guy not in? I'm not going to do that, but take us behind the curtain. Be the wizard of Oz here. Pull back the curtain and tell us what happens in those annual meetings that you have with the selection committee. And how does this all play out in determining who gets in and who doesn't? Well, it's a great question, and it's and it's not like it's cloaked in secrecy. Um, our discussions are, but yeah. I mean, there are eight, there are eighteen members, including myself, on the uh, on the selection. 
uh, committee. Lanny McDonald is the chairman of the Hockey Hall of Fame, and Lanny's in all of the all of the meetings with Jeff Denemy, and um, does not have a vote. He did when he was on on the committee, but then uh, as the chairman does not has a lot of input into you know how we do how we kind of go about doing our our job, but. The 18 committee members, uh, you're allowed to bring forth one player and one builder in a category for consideration. You don't have to bring anybody, but that's the maximum number that you can bring yeah. in. And uh, and we bring these names forward and we, we try to make a case for the people that we, we bring forward. We try and look at other people that have been brought forward, other players, uh, builders uh, by other people to see if they fit into the same category because just because we didn't bring somebody forward doesn't mean we're not going to vote for somebody if they're, a, exactly. if they're a true Hall of Famer. And so we have all I can say is we have very robust discussions. It's not <laughs> sure. yelling or anything like that. It really is not. But everybody on that committee takes their role very seriously. And uh, it, it is one of the delights of, uh, of the role that we're in right now. And it's a very, it's a, it's a great honor because um, having these discussions about who gets into the hall of fame and who doesn't is a great responsibility. And, and of course it comes with, with uh, controversy and people second guess yeah. you and all that stuff, but that that's part of what we do. It's, it's the same thing with every hall of fame. So of course you're going to have uh, discussions about it. How many positive votes do you need to bring somebody in? You said there's 18 members of the selection committee. How does that work? You need 75%. So you need 14 votes uh, to get into the Hall of Fame. So it's a di it's difficult to get in. Do you get um, grief a lot from people who will say, guards, come on, how is this guy not in yet? Do people do people get on you for that now? A little bit, sure. And and that's okay. It really is. Yeah. We can't really talk much about it. And we might just uh, – one, one of the things that we have said, which is probably very accurate, and that is that if we'll always have discussions about who's in and who's not in, or who should get in at a certain year and who shouldn't get yeah. in. Um, but we've always taken the uh, taken the position that if you're a Hall of Famer, you will eventually be in the right. Hall of Fame. Okay. Might not be in when you when somebody else wants you to go in, but um, it took a lot of guys a lot of years. It took Dave Anderchuk a lot of years. Yeah. It took our last uh, two years ago, Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson. A lot of years, but tough to argue that they're not Hall of Famers. Um, but those are the great discussions that we have, Gino, and everybody takes it very seriously. We've got a great committee and uh, everybody's very committed to it. You've been very gracious with your time, um, but I do want to touch on one last topic before I let you go. And I think this is a very important aspect of your life. So I want to give you an opportunity to share as little or as much of this as you want. Uh, you're a tremendous man of faith. Faith has always been very, very important to you. Uh, share with us what you would like to share about why that has been so significant to you and what part of, uh, what role that plays in your life. Well, it, it's the center of, of who I am, period. And um, I think I was able to kind of understand that uh, early in my pro professional hockey career um, as, as a Christian athlete. I felt a very strong sense of responsibility to my family, um, to my teammates, to the community, to the team, to be the best player that I could be. Um, but I also felt a very strong sense uh, of responsibility to the God who gave me that ability to play and, and be who I am. So to say it's part of my life really isn't accurate. It really is it's who I am. 
And it's like that is at the center of my relationship as a Christian, um, as a follower of Jesus, that it is at the center of who I am and everything kind of revolves around that. And uh, my wife and I have been married for 40, coming up on 43 years, and we both share that same faith. And uh, we've raised our family that way. And, and hopefully they're raising their families that way. But it's part of uh, that relationship uh, with God in my, for me and my faith through Jesus Christ. And, and it is kind of who I am. So I appreciate the question, Gino. And it is, uh, it's just really as simple as that. Mike, it has been fantastic catching up with you. You're a gentleman. You've always been a gentleman. You and I have had some great moments together over the years, and it's just great looking back on them. We really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for this. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Gino. Hockey Hall of Famer, chairman of the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee, a seven-time NHL All-Star, one of the top 100 players of all time. Our guest has been Mike Gardner. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.